0: Justice Society of America is coming to Girl. The CW may be in crisis next fall. And Henry Cavill's not leaving the Superman role? All this and more on a brand new episode of the DC Comics News Podcast. Hey there everybody, it's Josh Rayner, Editor-in-Chief of DC Comics News. I'm here to bring you all the news in the world of DC Comics, and we have a lot in store for you this week. I'm just going to kind of jump right in. Aquaman, as of today, has brought in just over $266 million internationally ahead of its upcoming domestic release tomorrow. And it is heading, uh, according to sources, it is heading toward a 120 million domestic run over the five-day Christmas weekend. This is some fantastic news. Uh, I had a chance to see the the film last uh, Saturday uh, with the Amazon Prime early screening, Uh, and I'll get into, I'll do a little bit of a mini review at the uh, toward the end of the show. Um, So, but needless to say. I, I enjoyed the film quite a bit and I'm really happy to hear these numbers uh, this this international number is great um, I know it opened in China a couple of weeks ago and it, 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 it did uh, some some records hitting like I think it was like 94 or 95 million uh, in China's opening weekend which is huge uh, and to have you know already have over 260 million dollars before the domestic uh, opening, that's fantastic. You know, that's I feel like this film is going to have some some great legs, uh, and seeing the projections for 120 million for the uh, for the Christmas weekend, that's fantastic. I'm really excited to uh, to see what comes next. DC really needs. Uh, needs a boost in their film division and uh, I think this will help and I think it'll be a good sign leading into Shazam people will be starting yeah I, people are, are starting to get a little bit more excited for these films and with the uh, the fun tone of it and, and seeing the, the the fun tone in the trailers for Shazam I really think uh, that it's gonna do nothing but help. Uh, the, the, uh, the, the current DC film universe so I'm really really excited to hear these numbers uh, and speaking of Jason Momoa uh, while speaking with Entertainment Weekly recently the topic of whether or not Henry Cavill would be leaving the role of Superman came up and uh, he came out and flat out said no he's not leaving the role <clears throat> um, I have the clip here so uh, take a listen He's absolutely not. Of course, I don't want him to. He's a, he loves the character, and he's not 100. Okay. All All right, so that's not gonna happen. No, it's absolutely not. Yeah, so I mean, he he seems real real sure that uh, Cavill's not leaving the role, and and that makes me happy. I just hope that uh, WB has some sort of plans for him. Whether you know maybe they fi- they did finalize uh, a cameo for the upcoming Shazam movie. That would be cool. But what you know, what us fans really want is a Man of Steel two. So hopefully that's still in the cards, and that they're just you know not telling us, even though you would think they would want to tell us. But maybe they just don't want to get ahead of themselves. So here's hoping that we get a Man of Steel two, and that uh, what Momoa is saying here is is accurate, and that you know his intensity about Cavill not leaving the role is true. I, I'm keeping my fingers crossed on that one. We also had some casting news for the upcoming film Birds of Prey and the Fantabulous Emancipation of One Harley Quinn. Uh, We had three uh, pieces of casting news, the biggest one being Chris Messina. Uh, You may know him from uh, the TV show's Damages, The Newsroom, uh, The Mindy Project, and this year's Sharp Objects. He has been cast as Victor Zaz, a sadistic serial killer who carves a tally mark onto himself for each of his victims. We also uh, got confirmation that comedian Ali Wong would be joining the film, as well as Robert Katrini. Uh, Wong will reportedly be playing an unnamed associate of Rene Montoya, while Katrini's role is currently undisclosed. Uh, Wong is best known for her stand-up specials uh, and has also acted in and written for *Fresh Off the Boat* and *Always, uh, Always Be My Maybe*. Katrini is a TV veteran, having uh, guest roles in everything from *Sequest 2032* to *Punked*. He recently appeared in AMC's *Preacher* as an unnamed gruff sergeant. Birds of Prey and the Fantabulous Emancipation of One Harley Quinn is scheduled to open in theaters on February 7th, 2020. I'm actually really looking forward to this movie. Um, ever since it was announced that there wasn't going to be a Batgirl, I've been a little hesitant on it. Because, you know, you can't, have, you can't have Birds of Prey without Barbara Gordon Batgirl. We haven't heard anything about whether or not just the character of even Barbara Gordon will even be in this film or not. But when 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 Margot Robbie announced the title being "Birds of Prey" and the Fantabulous Emancipation of One Harley Quinn," it it actually kind of made me perk up because this title it, it makes it seem like it's it's going to be not necessarily a Harley centric film, but it'll have a little bit of a lighter tone and it will have that centralized story. That will probably revolve around Harley, and won't necessarily be as uh, driven with the, the actual birds of prey. Meaning that it, it, it probably won't nece- it won't be actually necessary to have Barbara Gordon there, since it will have a little bit more to do. It'll be a little bit more focused on what Harley's doing. And and probably her, you know, with you know the emancipation of her, probably getting away from the Joker and how uh, these other women help her to get out of you know, from under him and uh, to kind of branch out on her own. You know, kind of you know like we've seen the comics recently. So I'm uh, I'm really looking forward uh, to that one. Uh, next up, we have uh, some TV and streaming news. We have some casting announcements for uh, Stargirl. We have Our Man, Starman, and Wildcat are coming to uh, the upcoming DC Universe show, Stargirl. Uh, First up, Lou Frigno Jr. has been cast as Rex Tyler, the Golden Age Our Man. Our Man is a founding member of the Justice Society of America and uses a drug called Miracle that gives him powers for one hour with each dose. Next, Joel McHale has been tapped to play the role of Sylvester Pemberton, the Golden Age Starman, and another founding member of the JSA. He wields an anti-gravity weapon called the Cosmic Staff, and has a sidekick named Stripesy, who is actually Stargirl's stepfather, Pat Duggan. And finally, Brian Staff has been cast as Ted Grant, a.k.a. Wildcat, who is also a founding member of the JSA, uh, Ted Grant doesn't have any powers similar to like a Batman, uh, but he is a world-class boxer, so we'll get probably get a little bit of that that kind of Batman-type action uh, from him. The series is slated to premiere on the DC Universe streaming service sometime in 2019. Probably more t- since they're just now doing some of the casting. It'll probably be uh, like the fourth quarter. Um, probably like kind of where Titans is right now, you know, probably those last three months or so, will probably be that last uh, show of 2019, most likely. Um, I'm actually really intrigued by this show. I don't really know a whole lot about Stargirl, I haven't really read much uh, on this character. I know that it uh, was uh, Jeff John's start, and he's you know, he's the one running this show, so I, I, I'm you know, I, I love that fact. Because the amount of love that he has for this character, I, I know he's going to bring that to this series. And hearing, uh, you know, some of these these cast members, and, and hearing that uh, the Justice Society of America is going to be a strong part of this show, that really excites me, and it makes me very, very hopeful that we're going to finally get a, a good uh, a live action version of Alan Scott, uh, the original Green Lantern. Uh, that I'm really excited to uh, to see what they do with that if they go ahead and do that and, and what that would look like in a live action setting because uh, I I've read a lot of those Golden Age Green Lantern issues and I gotta say he he's a fascinating character and I would love to see more from that and maybe we'll even get uh, like some some Jay Garrick going on I mean we've seen Jay. In uh, the CW's, you know, The Flash, played by John Wesley Shipp, uh, who I'll talk, who I'll talk a little bit about later as well. Um, But you know, we'll get you know hopefully a new iteration, maybe of that, and really kind of open up this uh, DC universe um, franchise of shows that uh, is coming out. Next up, Crisis on Infinite Earths is coming to the CW in 2019. At the end of the recent Elseworlds crossover event, it was revealed that next fall we would be heading into one of DC's biggest events to ever hit the stands: Crisis on Infinite Earths. Uh, this story took place in the mid '80s, had a lot of crazy stuff go on. Um, this is where we got, you know, the Monitor and the Anti-Monitor, and you know, with the Elseworlds crossover and having the Monitor in there. It makes sense that this is where they'd be going next, you know. He talks in the in the crossover. He talks about you know how there's a a, a more powerful being coming, and I mean to me, obvious ha- to me, it seems obvious that he's talking about the Anti Monitor. Um, and then we get that quick shot of Psycho Pirate at the end. Who you know anybody who's read uh, the original uh, Crisis at Infinite Earth knows you know Psycho Pirate is a a big part of that you know what happens and everything so uh, it it makes sense that this is where they'd be going and it it makes me wonder how close they'll actually stick to it because we had something like flashpoint for instance where they it didn't they did not stick to it almost at all you know there was pretty much nothing other than barry going back in time and messing with stuff other than that they completely, they essentially just took the name Flashpoint and did their own thing with it. With Crisis on Infinite Earths, I really hope they don't do that. I really hope that, you know, they stick a little bit closer, especially since they brought in these characters and you have Barry Allen's Flash and you have Supergirl. The thing is, I just don't see them killing off these characters. Now, What I could possibly see is something happening and the whole Barry thing going down because these crossover events always take place mid-season. You know, it's like the that's that's the mid-season break, and so maybe something happens. Boom, he's gone, and he's gone for the rest of the season. And you've got other speedsters. You could bring Wally back. You could uh, utilize Nora and and all that kind of stuff and then, you know, obviously something could happen, and he comes back, maybe in the finale. Okay, I I could see that working, but you can't have two shows where their main character dies off. You could do that with the one, with the Flash, I think that could work. But with Supergirl, I don't, I just don't see it working, because who's going to fill in Is is it going to—you know, it's just—I don't see it working. But what I—I heard somebody else talking about this, and it seems to make the most sense to me. Is what if they swap Superman and Supergirl's roles for this upcoming crisis? And instead of Supergirl being the one to go, it's Superman. That I could see. You know, that's—even though with the stuff that we saw at the end— it would be kind of tragic. And maybe that's what they're going for. They want some real heartfelt tragedy. They want you to really feel this stuff. And I could see them doing that. I mean, it's not like he's on the show that often anyways. So, uh, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know where exactly they're going to go with this. But uh, I'm really interested to see it. And I can't wait for next fall. Let me know in the comments what you guys think. Do you think that they would... Do you think they they would ever even attempt to kill off Superman in that way? Um, do you think that would be a good idea? What do you think that uh, What do you think Crisis on Infinite Earth will mean for this uh, CW universe? Let me know. Next up, uh, Gotham wraps filming on its final season. The final season of Gotham uh, is set to debut next month on January third. It's only a few weeks away. And, uh, some tweets went out, uh, from various cast members showing that they got together, they had a a wrap party and everything, so, Gotham has officially finished filming forever, finished, you know, wrapped his last episode, and it is completely done, and that's really sad to me, because it is, it has become, over the last five years, it has become one of my favorite, uh, DC shows on TV, and... It's really sad that it's ending. Like I understand, this show has just gotten increasingly nuts over the years, and you can really only go so far before it becomes just too ridiculous. Like the show is inherently ridiculous, and that's one of the things that I love about it. But you know, you can only go so far with the ridiculousness of it. Um, But it, no you know no matter what it's still really sad and the fact that it's a shortened season we're only getting 12 episodes but we are gonna fi- you know in the final episode we are you know they've already confirmed that we are gonna be seeing Batman. It's gonna be like a time jump and we're gonna see all that so uh, I, I'm really excited to see their take on no man's land and uh, you know bringing characters like Bane and stuff like that so I'm really excited for it, but it's kind of bittersweet because I don't want to see it go. And speaking of finales, uh, and Batman, for that matter, uh, we are going to finally be seeing Batman on the new DC Universe show Titans in the season finale. The um, season finale comes out on Friday, so a couple days from now. And in the trailer for the the season finale, we see several shots of Batman. Uh, the episode, I believe, is titled Robin vs. Batman. So I'm actually really... Uh, excited to see this. I didn't think they were going to go that route, um, at least not in the first season. And I, I'm interested to see how it'll tie into this last episode that had a lot to do um, with uh, with you know Rachel and, and, and the stuff going on with her. Because it seems like it seems like it's just switching gears and focusing on on Dick and and this whole Batman thing, but. Will it be linked somehow? I'm really interested to see. I love this show. It's fantastic. It had um, a rocky start from that first from that pilot. but with pretty much every show, the pilots are a little rough in comparison to the rest. So I'm just glad to see that they've really punched it up and it's a fantastic show if you if you're not watching, get on there, subscribe. Um, if, if you're in the U.S., subscribe to uh, you know the DC Universe app. Uh, it's only $7.99 a month. Um, if you do the the yearly subscription, you get 20% off. So it, it, it's a really good deal. And, and next month we're getting uh, the first portion of the new Young Justice uh, Outsiders episodes. So that's fantastic. We're going to be getting you know Swamp Thing, Doom Patrol, Star and a, and a Harley Quinn animated series, and You know this is just—it's going to be fantastic. I'm really excited. If you're not on DC Universe, get on it because it is fantastic, and Titans is amazing. So definitely check that out. Check out the season finale this weekend, and uh, let me know what you guys have thought. If you know if you're watching the show, let me know what you think because uh, I'd love to talk to some like-minded people. See. Even some people who maybe if you're not super into it, just let me know you know what you don't like about it. You know, um, we can have a discussion about that. I think it'd be fantastic. Uh, that's it for the TV and streaming news. Uh, we have a couple stories in comic book news. Uh, Vertigo's acclaimed series Border Town has officially been canceled after allegations of sexual abuse against Border Town writer Eric Esquivel surfaced. Uh, The creative team of Tamara Bonvillain and Ramon Villalobos officially left the project and shortly after it came out that DC was canceling the book altogether. Uh, They canceled orders for issues five and six and have made issues one through four returnable, which is, that's a big deal. You know, that's not something they usually do uh, even when they cancel a book. They don't make their books returnable. But with the the situation that that happened, I I totally understand. Um, Me personally, I love the book. Uh, I was really enjoying it, so on that aspect, I'm sad to see it go. However, I'm glad that they stepped up and 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 and, you know made the decision to just get you know obviously they were you know DC was kind of just put on the spot anyways because the creative team just said we're done. But I'm glad that they made that the right decision. They're canceling the book. I understand. I don't think that it would be a good idea to just hand it over to somebody else because you would still have you would you would still have the you know, the previous stuff from that guy that you'd be working off of, and anybody who would want to like jump into it would have to read his stuff and you know, it's just it's better to just wipe it out. Unfortunately, you know, like I said, it's I, I love the book personally, but you know sometimes you gotta just do what's right. you got you know you gotta just bite the bullet and, and get rid of stuff like that because you can't be having having people like that doing things like this. It, it, it just it can't stand. It has you know people have to take a stand and people have to uh, take that responsibility and and deal with the consequences of their actions you know and and you know what? I don't feel sorry for this guy one little bit. It's a, it's a shame that the book got canceled, but this guy, his, his career, it, it's done. He shouldn't be working, you know, on high... He, honestly, the only thing he should be doing is writing stuff on his couch and posting on the internet because anybody can do that. But he shouldn't be getting paid big bucks to be doing this kind of stuff uh, when he's, you know, doing shit like this. So, sorry for the, the S-bomb there, but it... it it really kind of irks me when when you find out stuff like this you know and we were actually scheduled to do an interview with this guy and I don't know it really it really it really bummed me out and it really kind of kind of made me kind of made me mad about about the whole situation but I digress the book has been cancelled so that's that's really all there is uh, left to say about that next up. Batman number 75 is set to kick off a huge event and the end of Tom King's run. In a recent tweet, writer Tom King gave some insight on the future of his Batman stories, including marking where the Bat event uh, that will end his run is scheduled to begin. Uh, The tweet reads, Coming in Batman 60, which actually came out a couple of weeks ago, uh, wraps up post-wedding, Cold Days arc reads king's tweet 61 through 69 nightmares epic arc scraping at the soul of batman with a flash break at 64 and 65 70 through 74 the fall and the fallen 75 the huge bat event with a secret name that sets us up for the end at 105 now if batman maintains its twice monthly release schedule batman 75 should be released in late July of 2019, uh, King has expressed his plans to author a 100-issue run of Batman. Uh, he said this like right after the um, the whole wedding thing came out with issue 50. He said that this is just the you know the first half of a long uh, story that he's telling. And uh, the latest solicited issues for number 64 and 65 are scheduled to be released in February and feature a story written by Josh Williamson, the afore- which is uh, the aforementioned uh, flash break that he said in the tweet. Now, this is because King is stepping back for a little bit to work on uh, a secret television project. Um, I know he talked about it in, uh, at uh, New York Comic Con, I believe, that he's doing... Uh, a, a television project, and that's why he's stepping back for a couple issues to uh, t- to take on take on something different. So, good luck to him, and uh, I look forward to to uh, seeing the the remainder of this story. Now it's time for the spinner rack. Uh, the spinner rack is where I give you guys my top five choices of books that came out this week. And I'm going to start with number 5, which is Teen Titans number 25. Learn the secret origin of Crush, daughter of Lobo. When Crush drags Jin along on a road trip to find an important item from her past, the two get into hijinks that make even Thelma and Louise jealous. Crush is on a hunt for Obelisk, the mysterious alien chain that once protected her as a child. But here's the kicker. It's in the possession of a man named Ezekiel, who killed Crusher's adoptive human parents. Plus, in the backup story, learn how Roundhouse got home from space in Teen Titans number 21. Number four is Nightwing number 55. The repercussions of the cataclysmic events of Batman number 55 continue as a scarred Dick Grayson has given up his vigilante persona in favor of a normal existence. A new job, new friends, new life. All are compromised when a safe house full of old Nightwing gear falls into the wrong hands. Confronted with a past he's worked so desperately to escape, will Dick answer the challenge? The newest chapter of the evolution of Dick Grayson reaches its next level in Nightwing number 55. Next up is Lucifer number three. Lucifer is in misery. No longer able to heal his broken body, escape seems further away than ever until hope arrives in the form of a mad poet. Meanwhile, a tome of prophecy is found among the cookbooks and a finger or two are lost down the side of the couch. In another crazy issue of Lucifer by Dan Waters. My number two pick this week is Freedom Fighters number one. Line up for this all-new maxi-series set on Earth-X where the Nazis won World War II. Twenty years after invading and occupying America, Germany wiped out all metahuman resistance, including the original Freedom Fighters. Fast forward to the present day, And a new team of Freedom Fighters emerges to challenge the Nazi occupation once again. But if they're to have any chance of victory, they're going to need Uncle Sam, who disappeared after his original team was killed. The 12-part epic Death of a Nation storyline kicks off right here in Freedom Fighters number one. And my number one pick for this week is Batman number 61 by Tom King. What happened to the boy who wanted to be Bruce Wayne? The young criminal mastermind orchestrated his own parents' death to emulate his hero and was carted off to Arkham when Batman exposed his crimes. But that is not the end of the story. Tom King reteams with Nightwing artist Travis Moore to create a sequel to their masterpiece of dark horror from Batman number 38. Be sure to check out all these and more on stands right now. Go head out to your local comic book shop. Check out uh, Comixology, any of those. But honestly, I prefer if you go to your local com- comic book shop, support comic book shops, keep them open, buy physical, feel that book in your hand. It's way better than digital. Just putting that out there. So be sure to check out all these books and more uh, and pick up some stuff to get you through the holiday season. That's it for the spinner act this week. Next, I want to do a just a little mini review of uh, the Aquaman film. So, if you have not uh, seen it yet, you know obviously you can tune out. Uh, I'll, I'm just going to talk about it real quick, a couple of minutes. You can probably fast forward. After this, I'm going to do a. Uh, we're going to be playing a uh, review from one of uh, DCN's uh, reviewers. For the Elseworlds crossover, so if um if you haven't seen either of these things, you know I can bid you adieu. You can skip down to the end. We have a little bit of extra information at the end of the show. Um, but so we're gonna just jump into a couple of quick reviews uh, right now. So Aquaman. Okay, I'm gonna say this first off. I loved it. I thought it was great. Um, it's one of my favorite. Uh, DC films of all time. Not just you know the current crop of like DCEU stuff. But it's probably in my top 5 of DC films of all time. I absolutely loved it. Um, it was fun. It was it's a, it's a thrill ride. An adventure. It was visually breathtaking. Um, which I'll get a little bit more into in a minute. Um, I thought James Wan did a great job. Uh Directing these characters and bringing life to this world that we've never really seen in live action. Uh, Jason Momoa, I I love this version of Aquaman. I know that there's plenty of people out there, including some of my uh, my writers, who don't care for uh, this version of Aquaman. It's not you know the version that's from the comics. I get that, but I personally, I don't have a problem with that, and I love it. I dig it, and. Everything that we've seen, I've seen from him, it it is stellar. He he does a great job. He he can play the the, the humor of it. He can get serious and play the dramatic portions of it. And uh, he he's 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 surrounded by a fantastic supporting cast. One of the best being Amber Heard's Mara. She is fantastic. She's a badass. She does a great job. You know she is a star in this film, and I, I love it. She, they were able to do some amazing justice to that character, and, and I'm really glad because I was a little bit worried uh, that they you know it was, she was pretty much just going to be like kind of sidelined or just made you know to be the woman who has to rely on the, on the big strong man, which they did not do in one bit, which was fantastic. Um, I also really enjoyed uh, Nicole Kidman in this film. She is also badass, man. There's an opening scene, uh, you know, before the before the uh, the opening title, where she just kicks the crap out of some Atlantean soldiers, and it is amazing. I'd love to see her do some more action stuff like that; it'd be really cool. Uh, but she was great in, in this in this film. I also love the portrayal of, of uh, Black Manta, uh, Yaya Abdul Mateen II. He is fantastic. I'm looking forward to more from him uh, and from this character, um, Patrick Wilson. Uh, I, I, I love I love Patrick Wilson as an actor, um, and I liked Orm. He was a little over the top at times, which kind of works because you know he's that he's that big bad villain. Um, but there are a couple of, of moments where it's a little cheesy, a little over the top. Um, but you know, is it is what it is. It's it's what they it's what they apparently wanted to do for that character, and that's it, it. You know, it's fine. It's not like it's, gr- it's not amazing or anything like that. But it it was fine. Um, but the the thing that really stands out is the uh, like I said the visuals. It is visually stunning. It is amazing. The CGI is fantastic. Um, I, unlike some other films that uh, have come out recently such as justice league there's some wonky cgi in that um, black panther earlier this year that end fight sequence it, the cgi is kind of wonky even in um infinity war which, which has some amazing cgi with like thanos and that you get like the Bruce Banner floating head in the, in the Hawk Buster, you know, some, some stuff like that. But the CGI in this, I didn't spot it. I mean, maybe there is, maybe there's something in it that just doesn't look good that I just didn't, didn't catch. I didn't see anything that was like that. Everything looked great to me. Even the octopus playing the drums. Now I've heard some people complain about this but to me i thought it actually really worked because unlike ant-man and the wasp where you have a giant ant just like playing the drums you know like actually you know busting out a drum solo this was there for a purpose you know it was the big tribal drums and it was that it was for something specific it wasn't just like an innocuous scene that was just there it was part of something and it was to me it was believable and it was literally just one shot and it didn't throw me out of the film in any way. The only thing that, the only reason that it even took me even slightly out was because it made me think of what other people had said about it because I had heard about it before I saw it. And that's the only reason that it even slightly took me out was because I thought about that. So to me, I thought it was actually really cool and fit really well. Um, I mean. There's some amazing fight sequences, uh, some fantastic tech in, in the film, and uh, yeah, I, re- I really loved it. Uh, I gave it a uh, a 4.5 out of five uh, on the site, and you can go over and you can read my full review over on uh, dccomicsnews.com. So yeah, that, those are my thoughts on Aquaman. Uh, next is going to be our review of uh, the Elseworld's crossover. So sit back uh, and enjoy the, uh, the, the review from uh, our reviewer, Sean uh, Blumenshine, and uh, yeah, enjoy.
1: In the new Arrowverse crossover, a mad scientist rewrites reality resulting in Oliver Queen becoming Barry Allen and vice versa. The two travel to Earth-38 to seek help from Supergirl when their friends don't believe them. What was interesting about this crossover for me was the decision to have the three episodes distinctly represent their respective shows. Last year's Crisis on Earth-X had one plot and tone throughout the entire crossover. This year the creators clearly tried to make an episode of each show that are tied together but still separate. The Arrow episode is more grounded, it's grittier, it's darker, while the Supergirl episode is a lot lighter, it's a little crazier, it's bigger. Uh, The supporting cast of each show are only in their respective shows, so Felicity is only in the Arrow episode while Jimmy Olsen is only in the Supergirl one. My favorite of the three episodes is easily part 3 of the Supergirl episode. Part of that is because Supergirl is my favorite of the three shows and it does feel like an episode of Supergirl. Additionally, I think it features the best character writing. In the first two parts, Kara really only exists to hit things, but the finale gives her some nice scenes with an alternate version of Alex. Their connection is really sweet and really enjoyable. Oliver also has a pretty strong arc in that last episode. He kind of has to realize what his worth is versus Kara and Barry, and his admiration for the two is really endearing. And Green Arrow confronting the Monitor all by himself is one of the coolest things the character has done in this universe. Speaking of the Monitor, I genuinely love how comic book this crossover is. It's really really crazy and over the top, but they play it straight. There's no half-hearted wink to the camera, they're just having fun, and that's really infectious. This is naturally taken a bit further in part 3, where the scale just gets way bigger. The Superman versus Black Suit Superman fight is great, Barry and Kara's plan to save the day ultimately is really ridiculous and over the top, but in all the best ways. And there's a scene in which Green Arrow and The Flash just walk into space through a hotel room door, and it's awesome. In terms of criticisms, most of them are in the first two parts. While I like what is done with Ollie in the finale, the first two episodes draw both him and Barry pretty thinly. Their scripts never go further than Oliver is angry, Barry is happy and that's kind of it. The finale gives it a bit more nuance which does help but I do feel it's too simplified at first. My biggest criticism is that this crossover is more interested in references and setting up other stories that it doesn't really tell much of its own story. Cool things are hinted at and then ignored. A major part of the promotion was the introduction of Batwoman and she is barely featured. Her only plot function is telling the group where the mad scientist works. She has two action beats, neither of which are anything spectacular and by beats I mean that literally. Neither scene is very long, then there's the return of John Wesley Shipp's Barry Allen who has about a minute of screen time and does nothing. There was no reason to even have him here except to get some press. In the Arrow episode the group goes to Arkham. The episode goes out of its way to show us major names on the cell doors. These names include Oswald Cobblepot, Edward Nigma, and Pamela Isley. Then the cell doors open, there's a mass breakout, and we don't get to see any of those characters. If they're not allowed to use them, that's okay, I get it, Warner Brothers is weird with their rules of what can or cannot be used, but I would argue that they shouldn't have shown the names. It makes the Arkham breakout feel small. I think this crossover could have been structured a little differently. Team Flash has way too much screen time. Cisco makes sense, his powers are integral to the plot, but Caitlin has a weird amount of screen time and I'm not sure why. I like Caitlyn, I love Danielle Panabaker, but most of her scenes could be cut. Honestly, I think everything with both Team Flash and Team Arrow could either be cut shorter or cut entirely. Felicity's marital problems have nothing to do with anything and I don't care. The time wasted on the supporting cast could have been spent on Kara having a bit more of a presence in the first two parts, the mad scientist being a bit more developed, and an actual purpose for Batwoman and 90's Flash. There is an impressive amount of padding in this because, ultimately, this story doesn't matter. Everything in this is just a setup for next year's crossover, and that's kind of a shame. The writers are too concerned with what's coming that I don't think enough goes into this story. A big problem I have with the Arrow episode is the direction. Clearly they're trying to make it a little more stylistic, but it doesn't quite work. During action scenes they try to move the camera around a lot, they do a lot of these awkward zoom-ins. It contrasts the more serious tone of the episode because it's just really goofy. Batwoman's in-costume introduction ends up feeling really silly because of how bizarrely shot and edited it is. In terms of the two new actors, both end up feeling kind of bland. It's harder to judge Ruby Rose's Kate Kane because she doesn't have a lot of lines and there's nothing really for her to do outside of scowling and flirting with Kara. With the Meteor script, I think Rose will work well in the part but she isn't given any material here. I also wasn't impressed with this new Lois Lane. The performance isn't terrible, but it feels generic and she doesn't have much chemistry with Tyler Hoechlin's Superman. My last criticism is Oliver's deal with the monitor that will more than likely result in the death of two characters. Arrow's season four grave storyline was a low point for that series because of how gimmicky and cheap it was. And I am a little concerned that this ending will end up feeling very similar And I think it's just kind of lame. Overall, I'm not crazy about this crossover. I was hoping that with the absence of Legends of Tomorrow that the story would be able to focus more without having to juggle 50 characters. But some of the same problems still occurred. Supergirl is somewhat underserved and the villain is pretty generic despite having a potentially interesting motivation. Both of which were major problems on Earth X last year. There's entirely too much teasing and setup without telling enough of its own story, but there is a charm to it. Part 3 is a lot of fun, and I think improves on some of the problems. There's a comic book nature to the whole thing that's very appealing. It succeeds in what it's trying to do. I just think there are a lot of places in need of improvement.
0: Alright, and there you have it. That is the uh, Elseworlds uh, review. Thanks Sean for that. I, I loved this, uh, this crossover. I thought it was great. Um, had some fantastic stuff going on, but I'm not gonna go into it more since Sean already you know went into the entire crossover. so that pretty much wraps up everything uh, for this week's uh, episode, episode 12 of the DC Comics News podcast. Um, we do ha- I, I did want to mention one other thing up on the site right now and on the YouTube page. We have uh, an an interview with John Wesley Ship, uh, who he he talks about um, you know the Elseworlds crossover and about Flash and, and and his career and stuff like that and it's it's a fantastic interview. So please head over there and uh, and check that out. Um, share it with everybody. Uh, it's a great interview. And uh, if you can head over to. Uh, you know, wherever you're listening to this, you know, subscribe, rate, review, especially on uh, Apple Podcasts, on iTunes. Um, you know, subscribing to to the to the feed uh, and, and rating it and reviewing it that really helps us. It bumps us up in uh, in uh, the put in the positioning, and uh, it it really it really gives us a, you know a, a boost for in the standings and everything. So please do that. Um, and again, you know, like I say every week, if you have any questions, I would really like to start doing some uh, so, some questions on on the podcast where I answer you know things that the fans out there would like to know. You can send them directly to me if you want, right at uh, Joshua at DCComicsNews dot com. That's J O S H U A at DC Comics News dot com. Or you can head over to our Twitter page, which is at DC Comics News, and use the hashtag dcn mailbag that's d c n mailbag use that hashtag and uh, i'll answer any questions that i get and uh, make sure to follow us on all of our social media platforms that's uh, facebook twitter instagram youtube tumblr all at dc comics news and as always everybody read more comics